morning. It is good to be here with you this morning to sing to the Lord, to glorify his name, and to think about all the good things he has done for us. One of the last time I, times I was here and having devotion, one of the verses that I talked about was Philippians 2 verse 5 that says, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. This is a verse that is really important to me. It really helps me with, in my Christian walk with God. Because when I think about the Christian life, when I say Christian life, I talk about a life where you are walking, where you are following Christ. And when I think about the life of men, when I say the life of men, when I think about men being a sinful being, I realize that these two things can't work together. Being a man, thinking about the, the sin of Adam, the sinful nature, and being a Christian, these two things can't work. And, but when I think about this verse, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, it shows me that in order to live a Christian life as a man, something needs to happen to, your, to you. Something needs to happen in your life. And when you think about a Christian, when you think about the life that Christ lives, it, may, it gives you an idea about what will happen with a man who becomes a Christian, with a man who has the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. It also makes me think about Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where, verse 2, where it is talking about uh, the renewing of your mind. So, when I was thinking about having devotion last night, I was thinking about what, as a man, what can come to your mind. I'm not talking about a Christian. I'm talking about, even if I would be talking about a Christian, I am especially talking about the old man living in you. What can happen? What, or what temptation that the devil throws to you? What he wants you to do in the old man. If you would be living as, as the old man, you wouldn't be able to do what Christ, what God wants you to do. But when you are living by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, by what the Holy Spirit does in you, it prompts you to live a life that is different from the life that the world is living or that is different from the life that you used to live. So if we would read in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, we can see that it talks about how the heart of men is deceitful. As the heart of men is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So as an old man, your heart doesn't want to do good. Even if you, you would think that you want to do good, you want to do good for another reason that is not good. The reason why you need to be you need to be doing good it's because 
as a Christian, it's because you want to glorify the name of God. If you want to do something, if you want to do something, if you want to do good because you want to appear as a very good man, you're not glorifying the name of Jesus. You are doing something for yourself. So when you have the mind that was in Christ Jesus in you, you want to glorify the name of Jesus. If we would, if we would read Matthew chapter, chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 to 21, we will see how Jesus, when he was on the earth, how he lived. We will see what, we will see what he did because of the mind that was in him. Matthew chapter, tw- chapter 14, verse 13 to 21. When Jesus heard of it, he, de- he departed thence by, sh- by ship into a desert place apart. And when the, people he- when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place. And this time is now past. Send the multitude home. No, send the multitude away that they may go into the village and, they, and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but we we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring him either to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took five five and took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven he blessed and break and break and give the loaves to his disciples and the disciples uh, to, to, the, to the multitude. And they did all, and they did all eat and there and were filled. And they took up of the fragment that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children. And here we can see that there is a word that is really important for us to think about. That, that word is compassion. The mind that was in Christ Jesus prompted them to be compassionate. So as Christian, it is important for us to, be, to have compassion for others. Now, there are many people that are suffering in this world. There are many people that have a lot of money that are suffering in this world. What they need, it's just a word. It's just sometimes, it's not even a word, it's just a smile. But they don't find it. I'm sure if Jesus was on the earth in flesh, he would smile to them. He would talk to them. 
but he's not anymore. But we are here as Christians. We can talk to the people that are really sad. We can share something with them, the things that they need. Sometimes you think that you have to share money, but sometimes it's a word. Sometimes you think that you have to share money, but sometimes it's just a little time to sit with the person, to talk to him a little bit. And that can show him that there is something in you that he needs. And maybe by building a relationship with him, just like you have the mind which was in, in Christ Jesus and you, by building a relationship with him, he can get to have the same mind. And the world can be different. And that person that was sad can become a happy man. So with this, we are not going to, see, to pray this morning. I would like us to pray in a song this morning. It would be in Zion Praises 7... A four hundred and seventeen. We are going to sing the first verse in the chorus. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. Okay. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I fulfill all of this pleasure. Jesus, thy perfect last neck to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, Come in thy fullness, stand thine own image deep on my heart. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. May God bless you. Father, we thank you that we can gather like this this morning. Thank you for your presence here, that you are with us, and that you do um, take interest in, in what... We do here today, we ask you to, to guide us as we hear your word being taught. Uh, may our ears be open to receiving the, the message you have for us. And bless Brother Lorne as he brings this message. He delivers what you have laid upon his heart and given him. May you guide him, may you strengthen him, and may this all be for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning and welcome each one to our time of worship here this morning. Um, I hope as you sang in that song that you have truly found what satisfies your soul and that you're finding um, the peace of God in your heart this morning. This morning I'm continuing the theme that John started last Sunday. Um, we didn't plan this, um, but when I heard his title last Sunday on the family of God, I I was curious to see what he would have to speak about um, because I actually was was kind of thinking down that same vein. Um, so we're going to continue that theme this morning. So as you've seen, I've titled my message this morning, God Our Father. 
And this message comes from thoughts I've had as we um, have studied in our instruction class the last few weeks. A couple weeks ago, John um, reminded us how that our experience with past authorities in our life and a lot of times our father um, shapes our view of God and how we relate to God. And also in one of our last Conquer series lessons, we you know, were studying on, on how men deal with addiction. And many times we as men, um, we try to pacify the hurts and wounds in our life with addiction. And many times those wounds can come from the relationship we've had with our father. And that has caused me to do a lot of thinking about uh, my life as a father. Um, I'm sure that my children would be the first to tell you that I'm definitely not a perfect father. And, um, you know, as, as I think about that, um, you know, it, it's, I guess, a struggle sometimes to know that you aren't a perfect father. But I think we all as fathers need to accept that, that we're not perfect. And... What that should do for us is that should drive us to God and help us realize that, no, we can't do it on our own strength, but there is someone that, that will help us walk through the journey of fatherhood. And, you know, it, it, um, thinking about fathers reminds me of my father. You know, I've, I've had the privilege of having a very godly father, a role model that I can follow, and I want to thank my father for that. I thank God that I have a father that has truly made a big impact on my life in a positive way. I know there's some that do not have that experience. And for everyone, we all have a father, good or bad experiences. But there is a father that who will love and care for us no matter what if we choose to follow him. And so this morning I want to share a few points about God our Father and this is by no means an exhaustive list. It's just a few passages of Scripture that I've found that talk about God being our Father and what some attributes are that He shows to us. So for the first passage of Scripture, I would like to read Matthew six twenty-five to 34. And in this passage of Scripture, we'll see that God is a provider. I'll start reading in verse 25 of chapter 6. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and body than the raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall not he... Show not he shall he not much more clothe ye, O of little, O ye of little faith. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what wherewithal shall we be clothed? 
For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In this passage, we see God referred to, Jesus referred to God as our Father twice in this passage. And what we see God as our Father doing in this is that He's portrayed as a provider who not only provides for us as His children, He meets our physical needs, but He meets the needs of the creatures that He has created, even to the grass of the field. You know, we can look at grass as very insignificant and the flowers as very insignificant, but God even cares for those. Last week I had the privilege of studying the subject of creation in our instruction class, and I was reminded of God's marvelous ways, you know, how he meets the needs of the amazing creatures that he's created. The intricate details of creation are absolutely amazing, and I encourage anyone to study that. They're very complex systems for how the creatures of the earth are provided for. And here in this passage, we can see that as God provides for the creatures of the field, much more he will provide for us. You know, God wants to provide for us in the way that we provide for our our children as earthly fathers. I think most of us would not want our children to worry about the finances. We want them to have the freedom to grow and thrive you know, they'll have the opportunity to worry about that when they grow older. We don't want them to have to worry about their next meal or how they'll get their clothes. We don't want them to worry about having a roof over our head. And that's how God, He doesn't want us to worry about those things. He has promised us in this passage that He'll take care of those things. You know, worrying as, about those things, as He says in verse 32, it's like the, that's the way of the world to worry about those things. And that's what separates you as a believer from the unbeliever. The unbeliever strives after these things, but the, the believer trusts in the promises of God. God already knows that we need these things, and he'll provide them for us. God has got this. He'll provide the necessities of life so that we can focus on building his kingdom. And so I think that's the point you know, that we need to focus on here. We need to let God take care of those physical needs. He'll provide that for us. God wants us to have a focus. You know, He doesn't want us to just put it on autopilot and cruise through life. He wants us to have a focus, and that focus is on His kingdom. We're not here to build our own kingdoms. There's a song that um, really spoke to my heart a while back, and it's a song It's called In the End, and it's... Um, written by J.J. Heller. Here are a few words from the song. It says, Oh, this silly heart of mine, looking for new things to buy. Nothing really satisfies in the end. In the end. Greed is making fools of us, waging war, betraying trust. Empires only fade to dust. In the end. In the end. Safety is not for sale. You cannot buy peace at night. Earthly defenses fall. There is nothing new under the sun. Build your kingdom all your life and then say goodbye. And that really spoke to my heart is, you know, I spend all this time working on my projects and what I want to do. But in the end, we're all going to say goodbye. 
We're all so often taken up with our own things that God gets a leftover time in our life. But God is calling us to put his kingdom first, and he would then richly bless us with the needs of life. You know, as this is a passage of scripture that I have really been thinking about a lot, um, and how does God want me to have that balance? You know, God has, as fathers, entrusted families to us that we need to care for. Um, some of you, he's maybe called to be teachers. He has children that you need to teach and care for. God has given you things that he wants you to be a wise steward of, but yet realizing that ultimately all of this is God's and that he wants us to hold it loosely and trust in him to provide for the needs of our life. And so it's my desire to do you know, a better job at doing what truly matters, relationships with God, family and friends, and building each other up in the kingdom. The second um, point I want to look at is God is a, is a good listener. And we're going to just jump over to the next chapter for that. And, you know, if, if we desire, like, to be a good, godly father or leader, one trait that is super critical is that we listen to the needs of those that we are entrusted to take care of. You know, the kingdom of, of heaven, a leader is in stark contrast to an earthly leader. God calls those that are in his kingdom to be servant leaders. To be able to serve well, you need to listen to the needs of those you're called to serve. One example that this was really, this is not talking about the spiritual the realm, but as I was reminded once of, of true service, and when you're truly serving someone, you know, many times you might go to a restaurant and they'll come up to you and as they're, they're greeting or whatever, they'll, they'll offer you two options um, of things. A good example would be, you know, maybe if you go to Olive Garden or something, they'll come up with you to a bottle, you know, they'll give you two options. And this um, owner of one of the highest rated restaurants in the U.S. was like, that is an actually true service. They actually will get to know their customer before they even arrive at their restaurant. They'll know their likes and dislikes, the things they've, and they will present them with what they know they truly like to enjoy at their restaurant. And that really spoke to me, as, you know, to, to get to know um, those that you were called to serve. And God does that for us. He listens to our heart. He listens to the cries of our heart. Having the ability to tune in with your child and knowing what they actually need is critical to help them thrive. This takes time, it takes effort, it takes sacrifice, and it can be a hard process. You know, I, as a father, I can, you know, it's easier for me to just have a pre-formed um, plan or opinion that I, I just want to have my child do, but I need to listen to their heart. Maybe you are different in that way, but it, it can be hard to do that, but God our Father is not like this. So I would like to read at this time Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, going to verse 12. It says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, if him, his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? <clears throat> or if he ask a fish, will you give him a serpent? If he then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Actually, I think I'll 
Yeah, I'll stop reading there in verse 11. So as we see here, God is, he, his ears are open to, to our cry. He's there ready to, to provide for our needs, but we need to ask. And so I think what I'd like to, you to think about today, what is it that you're lacking in your life? Does your life lack fulfillment, wisdom, clarity or joy, peace, holiness? Do you sense there's an area of your life that needs to be filled? God wants to help you with that. God wants to help you fill that need. Another verse that comes to mind when I think of that is Psalms 34:15. It says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. God is there waiting for you to come to Him. That's what He created us for, is to have a relationship with Him. He doesn't want you to bear your heartaches and burdens alone, but He's patiently waiting for you to come to Him, and His ears are open to the struggles that you are experiencing. And we not only need to bring our needs to Him, but we also need to bring our praises to Him, because He has done so much for us. There's two things that um, we are promised that He will give to us in Scripture, and I would look like to look at those a little bit. The first one is, um, I'm not going to turn to the scripture, but it's in, first, in John 14, 26, he promises to give us the Holy Spirit. It says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring them to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. God has promised to give us that, to fill that need in our life of someone to teach us and to bring those things back into remembrance. God grants us the Holy Spirit to teach us His ways. And He also gives us wisdom in James 1.5. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. You know, as we live in a world that is so saturated with information, information at our fingertips all day long, we need wisdom more than ever. We need wisdom to discern how we should live our lives today. And if we do lack wisdom, it's because we fail to ask God. If we lack wisdom, it's because we look in the wrong places or we're looking for a different answer. And this leads to confusion in our lives. And we can see a confusion abounds today, and it's because we are not looking for wisdom in the right place. quote I came across recently that really stepped on my toes. I can't remember the exact word for word for what it said, but it's, the thought was, do you play more than you pray? And that really challenged me. Um, am I seeking? Am I knocking? Am I coming to God? Or am I too busy playing to find the answers that God has for me? Do I put more effort into my play than I do in seeking God? And I don't want you to get the impression that we should never have um, times of recreation or hobbies. Um, we need those times to renew our mind or we risk burning out if we neglect it. But they need to have their proper place in our lives. You know, some of the most important lessons that I have learned have come when I have been out in God's creation alone and away from the distractions of life and stresses of life. But we need to remember that in a hundred years from now, um, it won't be the times that we spent playing that will 
be important. It would be the time we spent in prayer. You know, I can still vividly remember the time in my life where I dedicated myself to pray more um, and the transformation that it brought to my life. And I can promise you, it will take you way out of your comfort zone um, at times. Another few verses I want to look at is James 4, 2, and 3. This also has to do with us coming to God and asking, um, you know, sometimes maybe we feel frustrated because our things we ask for did not get answered. And maybe this can bring some clarity to two reasons why we fail to receive the things that God has for us. I'll read verses 2 and 3 of James chapter 4. You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, and you can't obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it on your, consume it upon your lust. I think we see two things there that are reasons we may be missing out on the good things that God has for us. And the first one is that we fail to ask. You know, maybe we think we can figure it out on our own, but we need to come to the realization that on our own strength and knowledge, we can't face the challenges of life. Or we fail to realize altogether that God has the answers, and so we don't even think to ask Him. And sometimes, you know, we look at the principles of God's kingdom, and we think, surely that can't be right, that can't work. And so we look to the world to solve our problems. The second one is that we ask for the wrong things. You know, as our focus leaves God, we start to focus on our own wants and lusts. When we're not focused on God, we lose sight of the things that are important. What we focus on is what become important, so it's you know very important that we be diligent in seeking God in His ways. And more than ever in our culture, we are faced with many distractions and things that are trying to draw us away from the Lord. The next one uh, attribute I want to think of as God as a Father is is probably one that we would rather um, avoid, um, and is that's that he brings correction to our life. You know, God, just as a loving earthly father, has to bring loving discipline to our lives. I think we'd all admit that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes, that we all have flaws in our character, and so, like our earthly children, need the loving guidance and the correction of their parents. We as children of God need the correction of our Heavenly Father. And for a scripture on that, I would like to turn to Hebrews 12, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Wherefore, seeing you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye being wearied and faint in your minds. 
Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So as before we get into um, this in chapter 12, I'd like to, for you to consider the context of the verses that we just read. Preceding this chapter, we're reminded of the heroes of faith. We often refer to Hebrews 11 as the faith chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, we have specific heroes of faith that we are very familiar with. Names such as Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, and others. These people were everyday people who were just like you and I, and they simply trusted in the words of God and lived out what he asked them to. Then at the end of the chapter, we have um, others listed. We don't have specific names for them, these people of faith. But we see the extreme hardships and horrific circumstances that people endured for their faith in the true, true God. And these people were stoned, crucified, they were mocked, scourged, Killed by the sword in general, treated very badly. They were destitute and afflicted, and these people are heroes of faith by the example they left for us. They had enduring faith. So then we get to chapter 12 that begins with wherefore. You know, we have this example to follow. Because of the great example of these people of faith, we likewise should be willing to lay down our lives for the faith. When we have examples to follow, it gives us courage and that we realize we can do it as well. And this reminds me of back in my teenage years. We went to Pennsylvania for a weekend to spend some time with another youth group. And one of the activities that we did that weekend was we pushed a car down the road and then up this steep hill. And the interesting thing was that each team went a little farther than the last one. So the first one went quite a ways up the hill, the next one went just a little bit farther, the third one a little bit farther, and then the fourth one beat the competition. So I was, you know, that's how it is with us when we have heroes of faith like this to follow. We can be encouraged by their example. We can look back and observe what God has done for them, what he was able to do for them in their lives, and we realize that God can sustain us as well. Also, we have in, in verse 2, Jesus is an example of enduring hardship for the kingdom. Jesus faced extreme opposition and yet was faithful. And the Hebrew writer was writing to the persecuted Christians of Rome, and he brought out these examples to show them the faithfulness of God. 
that we can be faithful in these extreme circumstances. And this brings us to where we are looking at God's correction in our life. You know, as we think about hard times in our life, we can look back at these examples of faith and see how they were faithful. Verse 5 here is a reference to Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. It says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. And so I would like for you to think about the question, who does the Lord chasten? It's those that he loves. Um, Sometimes, like, it, it doesn't, maybe you feel like you're not loved because you're enduring chastening. But if we go to the next section, it says who the Lord doesn't chasten. And in verse 8, it tells us it's those who are not his children. Do you ever look around you and wonder why the unbeliever seems to have an easier life and is getting away with evil? And this is a verse that can help bring some clarity to that. There will be a day when God will bring judgment upon the sinner. But for now, it may actually seem like they're having life easier. And God brings chastening to your life as a believer to help you become a better person, to help you become a fuller person. And as we think about chastening, maybe we should bring some clarity to what the meaning of that is. And it's to correct by punishment, suffering, discipline, prune, or purify. And I like that idea of purifying. God is purifying our life. He is taking away the things that hinder us. John Harold and I were just having a discussion yesterday about, um, we weren't really talking about chastening, but we were talking about how, you know, as, as we're a young person and, you know, we have these ideas and how the way things should be. And as we get older, God kind of knocks some of those corners off and, and helps us to be more understanding um, to those that we are surrounded by. God has to chasten us, chasten us. He has to bring some pain in our life sometime to help us to be more gracious to those who are around us. So what are some ways that God can chasten us? Um, you know, as we talked about, hardship is one of those ways. Um, as we think about the past year, um, pretty much exactly a year ago, we were just starting to hear about this, this virus, and it dramatically changed our lives for a while and you know as we look about look into Hebrews 11 those people will probably say it's not much of a hardship but it it has been a disruption to our lives it has made life more difficult but do we accept that as God's molding of our character or do we allow ourselves to become very frustrated angry and bitter because of it another way that God might prune us is loss you know there's many ways that we can experience loss in our life Maybe it's a financial loss, loss of loved ones, relationships, or maybe reputation. God can take those things away sometimes to bring us closer to him. We are chastised through pruning, cutting away the things that hinder our walk with God. In verse 1, we see that there will be things that we need to lay aside so that we won't be dragged down. We need to let go of the things that that come between you and God. I don't know what those things are for you. Uh, We all have to 
look at our own lives and see what those things are. Sometimes these things may even be, in quotes, good things, but in our life it's distracting us from our walk, a closer walk with God. Verse 1 also talks about our pet sins, the sin that does so easily beset us. Um, there's things that we need to get rid of. You know, sometimes people, God may even prune people out of our lives. Um, I'm sure many of you have experienced the disappointment of a person you respected letting you down. And sometimes we can lean more on, the, on other people than we deal on God, and God needs to take that person away so that we realize our dependency is on Him. And I can remember a time in my life when it felt like God was kicking out all the props from underneath me, and it felt like there was nothing less left to, you know. Those times can be very painful to walk through, and I even got to a point in my life where I told a friend, you know, I know there's a God out there, I know Jesus is real, and that's the only thing that's keeping me going. Um, I really feel like just throwing it all away right now. But God helped me through that and has transformed my life. It's helped me become a better person. And I believe he used those difficult experiences to show me what really mattered to him. In verse 11, um, it shows us that these experiences are not going to be pleasant. Um, you know, I remember having a conversation with Alicia one time about you know, surely God wouldn't make it this hard. You know, if he wanted us to do something, it wouldn't be this hard. And she's like, I don't know that I agree with, you know. It's like God's not just going to make it easier for us to do. Um, and as we can see in verse 11, um, it is going to be painful. It says, no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Um, grievous doesn't give us the idea of it being very pleasant. But God has to take us through that to draw us closer to Him. That's what He does as a loving Father. You know, just like the vine experiences the pain of separation as that unfruitful branch is cut away, so the cutting away in our lives as God trims away things that hinder us from full fruitfulness is going to hurt. There will be a time, though, when we can come back and we can be fruitful just as that fruit tree you know in the, in the springtime you see these fruit trees that look like there's barely anything left it's all those unnecessary branches are cut away but in the fall you see them just loaded with fruit and that's what the chastising of the lord is for you know again as i as we come to the at the end of these verses that we're looking at here it I just think again about the setting that these Christians were living in. They were facing severe opposition to their faith. And this writer here encourages them to accept this difficult time in their community as God's purifying work to bring healing to those who are feeling weary and walking this road. I didn't read these verses, but in verses 12 it says, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but, leather, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see God. You know, it seems maybe kind of contradictory to say that this hard time would bring healing, but it, it, this is what the writer was saying, the purpose of these hard times were, was to bring healing, to, bring, to lift up the feeble hands, and also, just um, 
Look at verse 14 there. It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see God. And I never thought about that verse in that way until I read through these chapters and saw the setting that this was written in. He was writing to these two Christians who were facing severe persecution and pushback from their communities. But God calls them to follow peace with all men and holiness. And the, the part that's really serious there is at the end it says, without which no man shall see God. These are requirements for us to meet God, is that we follow peace and holiness with all men. And also, um, moving on to the next one, God gives us eternal rest. As children of God, we are, we, promised a re, we are promised an eternal reward. And after going through that last section, um, we might think life, living life as a child of God is pretty difficult and maybe more than we can take. But there is coming a day when God will reward his children with eternal peace and rest. First, or John fourteen twelve tells us, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And that's a really comforting promise. If you're a child of God today, God or Jesus are working on preparing a place for eternal rest for you. There is room for all who accept the invitation of Christ. And we won't encounter any no vacancy signs when we go to be home with the Lord. As we live in this world of chaos and turmoil, remember God is waiting for us. Jesus is working on an eternal home where we can enjoy eternal peace and rest with our Heavenly Father. So in closing, um, you know, as we think about God as our Father, I hope each one of you are experiencing the blessing of having God as your Father. But maybe there are some today here who don't experience that joy So in closing, I'd like to share with you a few scriptures that show us the way that we can have God as our Father, how we can become sons of God. The first one is John 1, and verses 12 and 13. i just read those few verses. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as have received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor by the, nor of the will of God, man, but of God. So we see here the, the key to becoming, having God as our Father, is we need to accept Jesus into our life. When we accept Jesus into our life, we can then join God's family. And we can never do this on our own power, but only through the power of Jesus when we receive him into our lives. And verse 13 shows us this is not dependent on what family, race, or nation we are a part of. It is not by the, our own willpower or, or the gift of a man, but it's only through the power of Jesus. Another verse I want to look at is Galatians 4 and verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, which we, rece- we might receive the adopting of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son 
and to your hearts cry, <coughs> excuse me, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then heir of God through Christ. Here again, these verses show us that it is only through Jesus that we can become sons of God. And then jumping over to chapter 3, verse 26, For ye are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There again, pointing out that it is our faith in Jesus Christ is how we become children of God. So by these verses, we know it's only through surrendering our hearts to Jesus and allowing him to be Lord of our life that we can experience the love of God as our Father. So my prayer for each one of you here today is that you would experience that joy, the joy of calling God your Father and being a part of his family. Let's kneel in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that you have made provisions for us as your children. We thank you that we can call you Father, that you care for our needs, you have a listening ear, listening to our cries, and that you will guide us and direct us, help us through the difficult times in our life when you need to trim away things that drag us down, our sins, that we could endure the pain and come out fruitful in your vineyard. We just pray you'd bless the remainder of this day and help us to serve you faithfully. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have a song, Errol?